Hello and welcome. We are back again with our newest rendition of The Cold Hard Truth. I'm here with my co-hosts Tino and Connor. How are we doing, boys? Going pretty well. You know, it's a beautiful day outside. And, Wish uh, I was outside. <laughs> no, me too. But I mean, it's just, I was, uh, I was out there earlier this morning. It was just like, wow, it's finally starting to feel like summer out there. It really is. Yeah, the it was warming up a little bit. It was a tough night last night watching the Rangers, but you know, we yeah. did, we did what we were supposed to do. We won our two at home, but we can get in that, get into that a little bit later. Um, I want to start off though. Obviously the NBA finals have been going on now. We have two, we had two games already happen. Game three is going to be tonight in Boston. The series is shifting away from golden state. So we have to go over these game these first two games guys, because I think honestly, they were two of the, at least game one was probably one of the weirdest finals games I had seen in terms of just how the game went, the shift in dynamic, the shift in momentum in the second half. It was a really, really weird back and forth kind of game. So just to give some overview, obviously Steph came out ballistic. He's had 21 points in the first quarter, six for six on his first three shots. And a little note I want to make, it, this really does show how far the NBA has like transformed and how much it's changed over the years. Because MJ went six for six in an NBA Finals game in 1993, I believe it was against, or yeah, it was 93 against the Trailblazers. He went six for six in a game, like the entire thing, and everybody went crazy. Steph goes six for six in a quarter, and everyone acts like it's normal nowadays. So it's kind of cool how the game has shifted like that, where it's just the reactions they kind of get, you know, a little bit subdued now with three-point shots. But anyway, Curry went crazy in game one, um, in the first quarter at least. Tatum like I had mentioned, and even we had talked about, he had an abysmal shooting game, three of 17, only 12 points, but he did have 13 assists. His playmaking was off the charts in that game. Did a really good job of getting his teammates involved. That's all I really have for just quick overviews of the two players, two best players on each team, I guess. What did you guys have to say about the Celtics winning game one? They won 120 to 108. Any thoughts about it? Did the Warriors choke it? Celtics win it? Connor, I'll go to you first. Your general thoughts. Yeah, you know, I just sort of just thinking about this watching the game like the Celtics I mean obviously you want Tatum at his best but they don't but like they can still win with him not even at his best like I mean yeah he had a what like like 12 13 assists just like you said but I mean they still end up coming back from like a 13 14 point deficit to win the game and you know it was it was really big for them to steal the game in Golden State especially heading back home for uh, games to reinforce that was huge for them yeah it was a big third quarter I mean that that was the crux of the game and I think we made the point last week that like Tatum just has to be there in some facet, whether that be assists, rebounds. Um, and, and again, he did get 13 assists, so he did have some sort of part in the game, but he shot terribly. White had a huge third quarter. Horford played massive. Um, I wanted to shout out you, Tino. You talked about Wiggins. I mean, throughout the first two games, Wiggins has been an absolute explosion. Like just a certain points of the game, I just every time I think about when I see him make, make a huge play, I'm like, wow, Tino said that. Um, because he's just knows his role so well on Golden State and he's playing amazing. Smart obviously wasn't really guarding Curry very hard. It wasn't like they were playing close up. They were literally just letting him shoot, which I, I think they almost wanted him to kind of burn himself out, which which worked game one. But um, I think you're playing a dangerous game when you play that soft of coverage on a guy like Curry mm -hmm. because he was just cash. And you can see it in the replays. He's like, not me, not me. I'm not that guy. Like, you can't play defense like that on him and expect to come out of the series with a win, but – um, I don't know. They pulled it out in the third quarter. It was a massive third quarter, and it was crazy. I, it was unexpected. I didn't think they were going to win the game, but I'm thankful they did. Um, but obviously, game two didn't go as well. Yeah, well, to get to game two in a second, the, the things I want to talk about that you mentioned and just kind of go back, you know, a, a comment on a few things that you said. Tatum did shoot the ball horribly, but in terms of the quality shots he was getting, he was getting a ton of open shots, especially in the, thir in the third quarter from the top of the key shooting three-pointers. It's not like he was settling for these deep contested shots. He was getting good quality open looks and just wasn't making them. So I commend Tatum for as, as young as he is for being able to make that adjustment and say, all right, you know what? I couldn't score. Let's get Horford who had 26 white, who had 21 smart, who had 18, like get these guys involved. Reminds me a lot of like Kobe Bryant. That's, that's a big, like that's, I was also not that afraid because the shots that he was taking weren't bad. And the fact that he's, even though he's missing, he's still taking those shots. gives me so much more confidence in him because even when he's missing, he's still passing it off in the right moments. And he's still taking the shots, even though he's bricking, it's like, at least he has the confidence to put them up because you know what I mean? And that, that was very like, even though it was awful, it gave me that kind of like hope that like, okay, at least he's still confident in himself and his abilities. Definitely. And the thing about Andrew Wiggins too, part of why I said he was going to be the X factor is because, well, if we 
flashbacks when he was the number one pick. He got taken by the uh, Cavaliers, traded to Minnesota. He came into the league with the expectation that he was going to be a number one option. His role was going to be the star player, the primary scorer, that kind of shot creator. That was the expectation coming out of Kansas for him. They called him like Maple Jordan because he's from Canada. They were putting all these expectations on him. Now that he's shifted his, I know, Connor's uh, Maple Jordan. I don't know why they called him. Yeah, I don't know why they called him that, but horrendous draft. Listen, they'll they'll overhype draft prospects all the time. We see it in all different sports, football too. But regardless, now that he's kind of shifted into this role of being that almost fourth option behind Clay, Curry, Poole, and even Draymond, because Draymond has a bigger role than Wiggins does. But now that he's in this suppressed role, this is exactly what like, where he needs to be. This is his place because this is where he can thrive. We've seen it, especially defensively, because even though Tatum did what we can like kind of bring game two into the conversation, Tatum did score more in game two, but when he was on the floor, he, the, the team was much worse off than they were in game one because he wasn't passing the ball as much. The team as a whole wasn't moving it as much. And Wiggins, back to my overall point, was a huge part of that because he well, has done a great job of defending Tatum one-on-one. Brown, Brown also had a terrible game too. White didn't show up like he did in oh, game one, especially in the third quarter. Yeah, Horford didn't get that, that. It's like the, the entire reason we won game one is that third quarter unit without Tatum just – it was overperformed. The they overperformed. Like it was in, I mean, White was cash. It was it was insane. Like and in game two it was that was expected. You know what I mean? Like it, I don't think every you know, most Boston fans that know basketball weren't like, oh, you know, it's like okay, we stole one at home, they get one back. Let's see where we go game three. Exactly. And the thing was, again, in the fourth quarter for the Celtics really was the bigger one in game one because Golden State did kind of pull away in the third. And then in the fourth quarter was when Brown started his Brown actually played really well in the fourth quarter game one, too. It was Brown, White and Horford, that big three that really kind of brought them back and sent them on that run. And they never looked back. Connor, the question I'm going to pose to you now, I'm going to bring up this other stat. Jason Tatum in game one, again, he shot worse from the field, had less points, but he got his teammates involved and got more assists. His plus minus was plus 21. I know plus minus is like this kind of advanced metric that people sometimes look at and are like, oh, why are we paying attention to that? But in this case, I feel like it's important. He had a a plus minus plus 21 in game one. In game two, he was minus 36 when on the floor, which is the worst plus minus stat for any NBA finals player in the 20 seasons that the, the stat has been recorded. And it's only been, it's been recorded for 20 seasons. And in the 20 seasons of the finals, it's the worst one we've seen. So what does Tatum need to do in game three to kind of turn that around and really make sure that he leads Boston to at least one win at home? Cause they need to get one of these. Yeah. You know, he just, he just plain and simple just has to go out there and play his game. You know, like he is there for a reason. He's their number one option for a reason. And, you know, obviously you can't go minus 36 in an NBA finals game. You're, you're just never going to win. If you're um, if you're dragging your team down like that, whenever you're out on the floor, especially as a number one option and uh, such a great, talent like Tatum is it's just you obviously can't have that happen but you know being being at home I think he'll be more comfortable and he'll uh dominate either tonight or game four I guess for mine and the listeners sake can we know what plus minus actually is in the game of basketball because I know what it is in hockey but I don't know what it is about it's just like when you're on the floor and they score against you right Tina no it's let me just to get like a, the exact definition of it because I don't want to paraphrase it and you know explain it wrong um one second take your time because that's that that's important to the whole conversation is what is that actual stat because he put up more points in game two than he did in game one but again he was distributing in game one um it's the stat that the stat is a measure of the point differential when players are in and out Mm -hmm. of the game it's calculated by taking the difference in the score and when the player enters the game and subtracting it from the score when the player exits the game so basically it means that when tatum was on the floor Boston was much worse off and they were, and like the, the, the score differential was not as wide when Tatum was off, when Tatum was off the floor versus on, if that makes sense. So, so they were outscored by 36 when Tatum was playing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, it's a really hard question. Like, obviously I'd I'd love to see it's an advanced stat. I'd rather see Tatum distribute. I'd I'd rather see, see Tatum distribute score, barely any points and not get scored on. Yeah. Then him put up 28 and get absolutely lit on fire. But mm-hmm. most of those points probably came in the third quarter, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah no, well, th- third quarter, they were outscored by they, – they've been outscored, actually, in terms of – because you mentioned the third quarter. Besides that one fourth quarter, honestly, in game one, when Boston outscored the Warriors 40-16, to 16, which was an anomaly, the Warriors have really – 
kind of owned every other aspect of the game. They've been, they both games were close in the first half and the third quarter golden state blew it wide open and they outscored them 35 to 14 in game two. And after that it was done, but third quarter has really been the thing that's been the, 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 the bad part for the Celtics. Honestly. Can we talk about Jordan Poole? Cause he's just really weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Jordan Poole, honestly, I, when I watch him play, it seems like he tries to do the same kind of between the legs, has he move every single time. And if that doesn't work, he kind of just like dribbles and circles for like another few seconds and then throws the ball away. Or he's kind of, uh, if it's not that he's, you know, doing that move, putting up a shot or he's passing the ball to somebody else. It yeah, doesn't seem like he, he has a lot in his bag. He kind of just pisses me off, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, like the half court <laughs> shot was cool. Like that was like, oh, like, you know, but like, that's the, he doesn't do like, he doesn't do anything substantial. Like clay scares me so much. Like headband playoff clay scares me. Clay was like, terrible in game two though. He's four, but he's, but even though he was bad, like tonight, I'm like terrified, like, like yeah. full blown. Like my, like my, my, my heart is scared. My head is like full of like demise. Like I'm scared. Jordan Poole doesn't scare me. Like at all. Like I feel like he just like he just he looks like a, a wet folder. Like I just feel like he's if one guy is gonna really mess up and, and, and like if this if this series does make it to, to six or seven games, I feel like Poole will be the guy that like really messes it up for, for Golden State because he's just he doesn't offer anything really like I don't know. I just I just he just looks like a showman. And like again, the Hesdy, the the same move over and over again, just turning the ball over. Connor, what do like, you think? You know, I, I actually kind of agree. I feel like he's on the trajectory of like like J.R. Smith in Cleveland, like back half of his career. You know what I mean? Yep. That's yeah. exactly how I feel. You couldn't I, have said that. That's the perfect player to, to compare. I can, I can kind of see that. My only thing is that he does he, – he does when he when he's on and when he can score the basketball and when he's hitting his shots, he provides a very, very – Yeah, that was – he that was literally Jr. for like his entire career. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, but he, but just like Jr. though, he provides much needed depth. Uh, yeah, but you know, that, that the Warriors that need honestly because of injury. I agree. I agree with that. But but look at a guy like Brown who plays atrocious in game two and turns the ball over a bunch. But if you were to compare, he was five of seventeen. Any any he's I don't think he even scored in the second half. I, but but yeah. but game one he was lights out. And if you if you compare a player like Brown and Poole, they yeah. both have that like. You need that depth scoring, but they also have those games where they turn the ball over and they can't do anything because they're so, you know, Brown just drives to his right every single time. And, and Poole does the same, has he every single – but if you were to look at both players and say, which one would you rather have? It's Jalen Brown by a mile. Yeah. Like, he, I think he just provides so much more depth and so much more back-end scoring than Poole does on a consistent basis. And, and Poole gets so much, like, exposure because he's in Golden State because he's young and he's like the third splash brother or whatever. I don't see it. Like, yeah, no, uh, but I mean, yeah, and sort of just going back to J.R. Smith, like when he was on and doing all this crazy stuff and being successful, everybody loved him. But then if he was terrible, you wouldn't want him anywhere near a basketball court. So he, it's just like some something like that. So I can see what you guys are saying. I, I, I don't want to focus too much on Jordan Poole because I want to just get back to in terms of what kind of the difference that we saw in terms of game one to game two. What? I know we like talked about, obviously Tatum didn't play as well as he did in game one. He really didn't play great in either game, but just what he was able to do in terms of passing the ball, that was a lot better. In my opinion, the big difference from game one to game two, obviously the third quarter kind of killed the Celtics in both games, but the biggest thing was the lack of ball movement in game two versus game one, because in game one, especially in the fourth quarter, they were swinging the ball around the perimeter. They were moving it to God. They were getting open shots with guys like Horford smart and, and, and others. The, that along with the fact that, again, we went from seeing Horford score 26 to two points. Smart had 18, then he had two points. Robert Williams had about like 10 in game one, I think at least, and then he had two in, he had two in game two. For three of their starters to all only score two points, that is just as much an anomaly as the Warriors getting outscored 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter in game one, especially at home. So I don't think we're going to see that again where we see those starters just like not be able to hit the side of a barn because they couldn't hit anything. So I think that, honestly, that's why starting out in the show, I said both of these games were kind of weird to me because in game one, we saw something from the Warriors that we really haven't seen, the inability to score in the fourth quarter, especially at home. But then in game two, we saw guys who, who listen, are they proven dominant scorers? No, but we also saw three starters just not be able to put the ball in the basket for, for whatever reason. So I don't think that we've really seen the full strength of either of these two teams yet based on the evidence from the first two games, in my opinion, at least. 
I completely agree. I don't think I could have said it better. Like I, I, I agree with everything you just said. Like I, I it's going to be really interesting tonight to see how Golden State one plays away and two how Boston responds and how those secondary scores like Al, like Robert Williams, like Derek White, like Jalen Brown and Grant, like how will they? You know, Williams, it, it, the, the game is the well, not yeah, but the game is dependent on that secondary scoring. And again, I completely agree that we really haven't seen either of these teams at full full potential. And I have a feeling tonight it's going to be like just a shootout, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know. I saw, sorry, Tino, I just saw like this crazy stat the other day. Like, like the Warriors have never been down two games to none with uh, Steve Kerr as their head coach, which is yeah. just crazy to think about. So, no, and I was, you just segue right into what I was going to say that Steve Kerr and Ime Udoka, I think, are two guys to watch for this series because I really do believe. After seeing, again, initially I predicted the Warriors to win in six. I don't think it's going less than six games. I believe it's going to go six or seven. And I could totally see this thing going seven after watching the first two games for the mere fact that Kerr and Udoka are both so, so good at making not just adjustments between like each game, but in-game adjustments as well. And that's really what it's going to come down to, especially in games because these two first games were honestly blowouts. It was they won by 12 in the first game and the Warriors won by 20 in game two. We haven't seen a game where down down the stretch in the fourth quarter. It's with it's like a few plays deciding the outcome. I think, like Peyton said, tonight we could see a game like that where it's going to come down to Tatum having to make a few plays. It's going to come down to a Steph Curry or maybe even a Klay Thompson who hasn't shown up yet in the series. It's going to come down to him having to hit some big-time shots in the fourth quarter. This is going to be one of those series where we're going to see it go back and forth, and I think it's going to honestly be tied 2-2 going back to Golden State in Game 5. And I just can't wait to watch the rest of the series because there's so much, to, there's so much more to unpack because like, like I said, we haven't seen the best of these teams. We haven't seen the best of Tatum. We haven't seen the best of Clay Thompson. We just, we, I want to see these two teams perform. Like I know they can perform because that's when this series is really going to elevate to the next level. Um, and for game three predictions tonight, we can do those. Who do you guys think is going to win Connor or is Boston going to take this two, one lead or is golden state going to win two in a row? I'm going to go golden state tonight. And then, you know, when we talk about game four and in our, in our next podcast or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I think that they're going to split in Boston, but a uh, golden state tonight. Payne, what do you think? I mean, I got to say the Celtics, but it's going to be like, really, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a two point game. It's going to be wicked close. And I, I agree that they're going to trade. So this is, but probably- I think, I, I think the Celtics will come out all the way tonight. Yeah. This is probably one of the hardest series to predict, like in recent memory. I mean, last year's Suns Bucks was difficult, but this one just has like a different feel to it where mm-hmm. you look at both of these teams. It's such a good matchup. And it's so it, because of even like the, the age disparity between the two teams, experience levels, different differentiating between the two. There's so much that factors in that makes it so hard to predict. If I had to make a prediction, which I do, obviously game three tonight, I'm probably going to say, Boston, just because I think that the role players for the Celtics are going to step up tonight after having a terrible game too. I don't foresee this, those secondary scores like Peyton mentioned, Horford, Smart, Williams, White, et cetera, even Pritchard, you can throw them in there too. I don't foresee those guys laying a goose egg like they did, like they did in game two. And I genuinely do think that they're going to be able to make enough necessary plays and outplay the Warriors bench and the Celtics will win game three tonight. Um, so Peyton and I have the Celtics Connor's going with the Warriors. I think we all agree though. This series is going to go the distance six or seven games that we don't see anything less than that. We'll move on to some NF actually before we move on, excuse me, NBA. One more thing happened over the past week, Quinn Snyder, the Utah jazz coach, previously their coach who had, he had been the head coach of them for eight seasons. He kind of stepped down slash quit the job for the Utah jazz and I wanted to really just more so talk, not even just talk about the fact that he did it, but talk about the impact now this will have on a roster that is honestly, there have been rumblings about breaking the duo up of Gobert and Mitchell for about a few years now, because they've been a good regular season team and just never managed to have any playoff success. So they've been talking for about two, three years now about splitting these guys up. Who's going to leave first? Should they trade Gobert? All these different things. And something that was really interesting that I found on Instagram was that it was it was it was released by Adrian Wojnarowski that Donovan Mitchell was unsettled by the um, by the stepping de- by by Quinn Snyder stepping down as the head coach. So my question to you, Connor, first is: Do you think Donovan Mitchell will step will step away from the Jazz or possibly demand a trade or want to leave? And from that perspective, obviously you can talk about Mitchell, but from the Jazz's perspective, 
which player should they want to keep Gobert or Mitchell, or should they want to do the, should they want to keep them together and try to build around them? Give me your thoughts. I mean, do I want Donovan Mitchell to leave? Absolutely. I want him to come to the Knicks so bad. I knew you were going to say that because Jacob said it too, but you know, I, I think that he is actually really loyal to Utah and I, I can honestly see uh, uh, Rudy Gobert gone over Donovan Mitchell, uh, which leads into the other question. I think that the jazz should try and keep Mitchell over Gobert. So. Okay. Peyton, what do you think? I think Donovan Mitchell is a hundred percent leaving the jazz and there's like probably a 70% chance that he's going to the Knicks. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any way Rudy leaves Utah. Really? I think Snyder. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's just, you can just like Gobert, see it. Like Snyder. Leave. Like, they okay. Don, like, go, go Gobert. I, I saw this stat that I forget the exact stat, but it was like, when Don and Rudy were on the court together, there was like, it was, they barely, like Donovan barely ever passed the ball to Rudy Gobert. Like it always went through, like there was net, they, they, the interplay between the two of them was almost non-existent. Yeah. And I just, I've never heard a rumbling about Rudy Gobert being unsettled or displeasured. I've heard about Donovan Mitchell wanting to leave Utah for like a year. And whether that's just Twitter or just like people making up, you know, whatever, it's still out there and I'm sure Donovan Mitchell sees it and I'm sure it's affected him. And the fact that Quinn Snyder left just tells you that this thing is a dumpster fire and it's only going to build. Um, and again, the superstar is definitely going to be the one that bounces first. It's not going to be Rudy. And I, I just see it so likely that he will be going to the Knicks. I think it's just, he's going to get a max deal with the Knicks. It's just, uh, it, there's no way he doesn't. I yeah, just hope the net, that, that the Knicks grow a pair. That's all I'm saying. No, I think they will. To Gobert, though, Gobert can't leave. The Jazz would have to trade him. And some of the rumors I've been hearing is him going to Toronto for a package of maybe OG Ananobi. Um, uh, this is what I read on, on ESPN. It would be a package of Ananobi, probably a few picks, and then maybe somebody like a Gary Trent Jr., something like that. Like, it would factor in some of those players. Do you think Do you think Donovan Mitchell had a better relationship with Quinn Snyder than Rudy Gobert did, or do you think Rudy yeah, Gobert because, had a better? Yeah, because the, the latest report is that Mitchell was unsettled by the fact that Quinn Snyder stepped down. So, I don't, so if so if Mitchell's unsettled, what makes you think that Rudy's leaving? Like if okay. Mitchell's the one that does, like because if they if they they're gonna so they're gonna shop Gobert and then convince that, Mitchell. That's to, been in the that's been in conversation since the Jazz got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs. That's been going sure, on. Sure, but the then you have then how, how all I'm saying is how do you convince Donovan Mitchell to stick around with a new coach and. By saying, listen, we're moving Gobert. We're going to try to bring in more young pieces that can score the ball a little bit better and try to and, and focus on building the team specifically around you. Because the thing is, excuse me, wow, voice crack. Thing is, <laughs> you know, they've a lot of the reports have been that Mitchell and Gobert can't play well together anymore. And in my opinion, I, I agree with that because I don't think Gobert is a good fit. I think. Gobert needs to be in a place where he's more of a rim running center with a playmaking kind of point guard and like a, a more of a playmaking guard and a playmaking offense. Cause Mike Colley and Mitchell, I would say are both more so score first guards, Mitchell for sure. Mike Colley, I would say more so a score first point guard. And I just don't think right now, like in terms of who's more valuable to the organization, in terms of the jazz perspective, they should hundred percent want to shop Rudy Gobert to the Raptors and get a good haul for get get a good haul for him. Get some draft picks. Get a young center like Chris Boucher, somebody like that maybe. I don't know. I'm just throwing you know throwing names out there. But from Donovan Mitchell's perspective, if you were happy with Clint Snyder as the coach and now you're you know you don't know who they're going to bring in, there's so much uncertainty. From Mitchell's yeah. perspective, I can understand wanting to. Leave. So 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 but, what if they say they move Rudy and then like Don's a free agent, right? So he can walk if he wants to. Like you could if they if they pull the trigger on a Rudy Gobert deal, and Donovan's trying- a free agent. I think let me. I don't believe Donovan's a free agent. I believe that it's that he would demand a trade. Let me look up free agents. Okay, 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 okay. It de- that depends because I would I would be very hesitant to jump the gun on shopping Rudy Gobert before I had a hundred percent certainty that Donovan Mitchell was bought into whatever system I was trying to implement. Because if you shop Rudy and then you lose Mitchell and you're stuck with just picks, like or Mitchell refuses to play. And you have no head coach. I mean, then you're really Donovan, Donovan's not an unrestricted free agent until 2026, so he would have to demand oh a trade to want out because he signed. He recently he signed a five year deal, so he's oh. locked with them. So he'd have to demand a trade. So my, that, this is my forget thing. about the Knicks. Then I don't. This, I don't this, know. The, the specific, maybe he could be traded to the Knicks. I'm saying, but yeah, but I mean. So Mitchell's not a free agent, and I'll look right now to confirm, but I'm saying right now, you know, wait on my confirmation, but I do not believe Gobert's a free agent either. So it would have to be the Jazz either choose to trade one of them or Mitchell tries to demand a trade, something oh. along those lines. 
And because they, they, they were both signed under five-year deals. It's same thing. Gobert's not a free agent until 2026. So they have to pick somebody to trade now or one of them will demand one. And I think it's more likely Donovan demands a trade before Gobert. I but agree. I, I agree. think it's more likely that Utah will try to ship Gobert rather than Donovan and say, hey, but, it, but that's the thing. You, it, like, is, is there a chance that you ship Gobert and then Donovan says, like, like just, just holds out? Like, demands I mean, a trade it, and doesn't it, play. It's a, it, it's a possibility. Like, Obviously, it's a unless, possibility. Unless you, get a, unless you get a boatload from Toronto or to somebody else. Don- or, yeah, yeah, you you have to get a bunch. Like, I don't, I, and I, I don't think, I don't think they're going to be able to execute a trade with Rudy Gobert involved to get that many pieces that will convince Donovan before he clicks the red button and says, I want out. Yeah. So it could be both. It could be both of them gone. The whole thing might be completely blown up. I have no idea. Yeah. You never, you never know. And to clear it up for the audience, just so our listeners know exactly, cause I kind of like threw all that information at them. Donovan Mitchell and Gobert are both locked up under contract till 2026. They will both be become unrestricted free agents by then. So the only way those two can end up leaving Utah is whether one of them demands a trade or whether the Jazz elect to trade one of them. So we're going to see what happens. We'll, we, you know, we have to also have to keep an eye on the new head coach that comes in there. We don't know who they're going to hire. We'll see as that goes along. But yeah, it's a very interesting situation in Utah. And I think it is time, honestly, for something to happen, some move, because they've been together for a while now, since, since 2017 when Mitchell was drafted. And they really haven't made any deep playoff runs past the semifinals. So something needs to change with this team. Um, last thing I want to talk about, the Lakers hired their new head coach, Darvin Ham, who was a former Bucks assistant, uh, assistant coach. Any thoughts on this hire? Do you think, you know, I mean, LeBron was ha- happy with the hire. Do you think that the Lakers have a lot more work to do in this hire really doesn't mean much until they figure out the roster issues, chemistry stuff. What do you guys think, Connor? The roster is... I don't really want to say in shambles because they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but it's, it's a mess. I mean, they have to figure out the whole uh, Westbrook situation. Their depth isn't that strong, but you know, they have, they have two of the top 10 players in the world when they're right. So, I mean, I mean, it, so, I mean, hire, hiring a head coach at this point. I mean, I, I think that anybody can sort of manage a relationship with LeBron James to some extent, but you know, we'll see. If LeBron likes it, I like it, I guess. Sure. I mean, that's basically it, right? That's where we're at in LA. It's like, you know, just, yeah, just let the king make the calls. I guess. Yeah, I hope it works out. Yeah, that's kind of where it's at at this point. We'll move on to some hockey. Obviously, the Avalanche. If you guys have been keeping up with it, to our listeners, the Avalanche swept the Edmonton Oilers four to nothing. They won in overtime in Game Four, six to five. And um, now we'll see if they face the Rangers or the Lightning. But thoughts on the overall series, Peyton? Why did the Avalanche have such an easy time beating the Oilers? Um, <laughs> um I have a lot of really good oh, depth God. scoring. They're just really good everywhere. And the best thing that happened was Darcy Kemper got hurt, and Francois came in and absolutely went lights out because he's just he was good. better. He's just better than Kemper. Kemper's young and unexperienced. And when Francois came in and had that first game shutout, it was basically over at that point. Um, they didn't have – they had an easy time defensively with Edmonton. Edmonton was just – lacked puck possession and lacked actual zone time. And Colorado just controlled possession majority of the series. And that was really what it came down to. But to be honest, I felt for Dreisaitl and McDavid, they're really, really yeah, the two best so players. They're definitely the two best players in the world, and it's it's definitely not close. And they they played, like, the highest level of hockey that I've probably ever seen with my own eyes, like, just from one player's perspective, especially McDavid. Um, so it was outstanding hockey, and it, and it wasn't it wasn't uncompetitive hockey, but the avalanche are just so well-rounded and so much better in every area that it not in every area, their first lines are comparable, but after that, it's really, it's not the same. Um, so it, it was what it was four and oh, it is what it is. Avalanche are looking really good going into the finals with McCarr, McKinnon, Ranton and Francois playing the way he is. But uh, yeah, tough series for Edmonton. Connor, anything else you wanted to add about that series? That series sucked. I mean, you know, just just seeing like eight to six playoff hockey games is just horrendous, in my opinion. You know, uh, that's just not the type of style that I think that re- that like hockey fans want to see uh, during this time of year. I mean, Mike Smith is atrocious. He is so bad. And he's like, I think he's like 40 years old. I don't know how he made it that far. Uh, I don't know what the Oilers are doing. I don't know why they don't give McDavid and Dreisaitl a goalie so they can make an even 
longer run and not get swept out of the playoffs. But um, yeah, you know, we'll see. I mean, if, if the Rangers or the lightning or yeah. So whoever wins this series, I, I think that they're doomed. Colorado is unreal. I, I, I really disagree with the, like, I did not dislike seeing six to eight playoff games just because it was so fast. Um, it was so fast, but just like the scoring is like, uh, yeah, just, it's like, it's definitely like embarrassed. It's can somebody embarrass- like step up and play defense. Honestly, like it, it's, yeah, just it's, em- really it's embarrassing bad. for, for McDavid and dry because they like their playoff points were so high because they yeah. had to, they, they, they didn't like, they don't want, that's the crazy thing is like, they just proved to everybody that if they have to score eight, they can score eight. There's like, no reason that, why you should be be scoring six goals and losing. That's that, it's basically like, what it, I'm saying. You can say that you don't like it, but it's honestly never – it's never been really done before to see like, okay, these guys don't have a goalie and they made it to the conference. They beat Calgary. Like, yeah. they, beat, they beat a team with a Vesna finalist. Mm-hmm. Like, they, 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 they destroyed Markstrom. They made Markstrom look like Swiss cheese. He was the second best goalie in the league all season. Like – that in itself was so impressive to me that, like, I wasn't mad about it. I was just shocked. I just could not believe that they actually made it that far with yeah. that terrible of a goaltender because Mike Smith <laughs> was full horrendous. He had maybe three good games out of, like, the 15 that they played. He's he was terrible. horrendous. Horrendous. Give me your thoughts on the Rangers-Lightning series so far because so far we've seen no road wins yet. Rangers won the first two at home pretty handedly. And then the Lightning, uh, they they won a nail-biter in game three, scoring three unanswered goals. Rangers blew a 2-0 lead. And then last night, yep. uh, Lightning kind of just handled it, to, uh, went away with it, won 4-1 to one in, again, at home. So we've seen the Rangers win two in New York, the Lightning win two in Tampa. Connor, as you know, myself and you are both Rangers fans, what did you see in terms of the games in New York and Tampa, what was the big difference in those two games that you think led to each of the teams taking both their home games? Well, obviously home ice is going to be humongous, you know, through, through the final three games. Lucky the, luckily the Rangers have two more home games, but it like the Rangers are so weird. I think that they enjoy playing as underdogs and from behind. I, I think that they were uncomfortable with, you know, a series lead because they were leading in a series for the first time in these playoffs. You know, they, they didn't lead in the Pittsburgh series. They didn't lead in Carolina until they won the game seven. So, I mean, it was really different for them to go into Tampa Bay with a series lead or just have a series lead um, just like in general. But, uh, you know, them them going back home is huge for them. It's a really big game five. Um, we'll see what happens with Ryan Strom and Philip Heedle. I know that Goodrow's all banged up. Lincoln's been banged up since the Pittsburgh series. So, you know, they're going to have to bear down and – uh, get a win at home here to go up three games to two. This series is going to get nothing but more interesting. This is probably the best matchup for like two teams that there could be in the East, just because the two goaltenders are so stout and Tampa will not go away. No, nope. Tampa will not go away. They, they won't it, like in New York could win game five, but this series is going to go to seven and there's no way it doesn't. Um, I don't think New York runs away with it. They, you, they're, mm-hmm. These goalies are so competitive and so elite and so good. And the teams, if you look at the two lineups, they're so similar and so stacked in, in the same in the same spots that it's going to be a complete nail-biter and it's going to be tight games. New York stole two at home. I said they would, by the way. If you listen to the radio last week, I said New York in the first two, Tampa in the second two. So if you rolled with me, you probably made some dough. You're welcome. Um but, yeah, I think it's going to go to seven, and they're going to trade back and forth. I see New York winning game five, Tampa winning game six. And I would hope New York wins game seven. I really hope New York wins it. I think that um, it would just be good for, for, for hockey in general to see the Rangers get back to the finals. I think their team is good enough this year. Mm-hmm. And especially with Heedle and the kid line playing the way they are. Zabinijad is shown to be a top five center in this league, in my opinion. I don't think it's debatable or arguable. Um, he's that good. Um, I think they deserve it. And I think Colorado and New York would be an absolutely amazing series. I don't think you guys would win. No. But no, no. I oh, you hey, could hey, though. No, you could though. She's turkin. She's turkin. Peyton, do you agree with Connor though? Because when we talked about the Avalanche series, Connor said no matter who comes out of the East, they're getting dominated by the Avalanche. Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that. Dude. I don't agree with that because the two teams that are coming out of the East have the best boys in the league. 
That's true, Domin- but I mean, Dom- dominate domination is only exhibited in hockey when it's a terrible goalie versus a team with a good goalie. Unless you're the Edmonton Oilers and you have Connor McDavid, who's literally a one man line that can just create he, offense he, by he, himself. He's godly. The, he's like, yeah, yeah. But that that's the only that's the only outlier where you can say, okay, they had an awful goalie and they still suck around. Every other team. Uh, like Vasilevsky and Shesterkin are the guys. Those are the two guys that are the goalies in the league. Those are the the main two guys. Like Marstrom. Mar- what'd you say? Who's performed better in this series, you think, so far? Shesterkin. It's been split. It's 2-2. It's yeah. completely split. Shesterkin took the first two. Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky took the second two. And that's I think Vasilevsky played worse. Game, game one, one he was horrendous. He was horrendous. Shesterkin didn't play bad, but Vasilevsky... No, he- but that's the thing with the Lightning. The Lightning will not go away. And you can say yeah. what you want about the Avalanche. The Avalanche are a great team. They just swept the Oilers. were fantastic. And Francois is good. But Shesterkin and Vasilevsky are the real deal. And New York and Tampa are not slouches of lineups. Those lineups are real, full Stanley Cup contending lineups that, you know, McCarr and McKinnon are great. So is Ranton and Kadri. But to say that they're going to get walked on, whoever wins out of the East by Colorado, uh, no way. Hey, we'll no see. Way. But, you know, being being a Ranger fan, I feel a lot. I don't know why I feel more comfortable that the series is tied rather than the Rangers up three games to one. I, I don't know why. I just I just feel more comfortable with the Rangers, you know, being tight and you know being underdogs again. You know, with with the series tied and the um, maybe, like maybe, Tampa maybe, gaining maybe, the momentum, it forces them to kind of you know like keep their wits about them and say, okay, like we're still yeah. in the series. We're not we're not far ahead of this team. Like oh, we're you know three one on the two time. Yeah. Champs, they don't get that mindset. They're in the mindset of like, all right, we're in a series now with these boys, mm-hmm. the two-time defending champs. We got to play them like we, we have to play them as such, treat them as the two-time defending champs, and play our best hockey. And that's probably you know where the mindset comes in of oh, I'd rather have them be in a close series, maybe you yeah, know, because you want if you if you if you, if you went into the Tampa and the New York locker room and you asked the players what they think of the other teams, they probably see each other as fairly equals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably just as concerned, not concerned, but just as ready to play and just as, as prepared as each other, because it's going to be, it's going to be just trade. They're going to trade five and six and they'll go to seven. That's how this series is shaped. It's, it's, this is Connor's point about Edmonton and in, in, in Colorado kind of being a joke of a, of a series. This is, is a series. fair. It's a fair, it's a fair assessment relative to what's going on in the East, because this series is playoff hockey to a yep. team. This is, it's, this is, it's this the is like exact thing that you expect. I would like watching. I would see this as like a Stanley Cup almost, like a preview. Whereas, like you know, whoever plays the Avalanche, maybe that series isn't as good as this one. If this goes seven, this might be almost like the 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 pre Stanley Cup to the Stanley Cup, if that makes sense, because of how good the series is and how good both teams are. Um, Everybody will be watching. Everybody yeah. will be, including including Colorado. Everybody and I agree. Watching. And I agree with you, Peyton, too. That I feel like there is a mutual, uh, mutual re- sign of respect from both teams that they understand. Okay, we're like we're from the Rangers and Lightning side, both say, okay, we're playing a very, very top contender. Like we're playing a top contender here. We need to bring our A game in order to try to beat each other. And that's I, that's what I love. I think I think it has a lot to do with, and this is maybe maybe it doesn't, but Panarin and Kucherov are two of the top Russian forwards in the league, mm-hmm. and Shesterkin and Vasilevsky are the two best Russian goalies in the league at the moment. So there's definitely a sense of like enhanced competitiveness you know what yeah. i mean like like if you were to you know as a, for a basketball guy if bird played magic or if lebron played step or whatever it may be it's it's a little bit more personal because Internal you're playing the best you're playing your alternate the best yeah. the best version of you that that you know that isn't you is, is lining up against you and when it's that when it's that kind of game it, it's it's just there's so much more to it and it gives you internal motivation because you want to try to say hey listen i'm better than this guy like you want even and you can see that even in the even in the Colorado and Edmonton series with McDavid and McKinnon. McDavid, and, and this is McDavid with anybody, McDavid is probably one of the most competitive athletes I've ever seen in my lifetime. But when you're playing a guy that people compare you to constantly and you lose 4 nothing, wait till next year. Colorado and Edmonton will meet again, and it's going to go, you know, it's going to be a crazy, crazy series because guys don't forget stuff like that. Um, but we can move on again. Athletes in general don't forget that kind of stuff, but yeah, we'll move on to NFL. Um, I want to talk about the Lamar Jackson situation because guys right now, it's a very, very interesting scenario going on between the two. And I think it's something that we've really, really, we've seen before 
Because we saw this with the Dak Prescott situation where he was holding out. He wanted his money. He wanted a certain amount of years, you know, spanning over his deal. The Cowboys didn't want to give it to him. And eventually the Cowboys capitulated, give him what he wanted. And that's kind of how things go now. The player usually really gets what they want most of the time because it's the world is becoming a player's league. The players have pretty much most of the power over owners, over organizations in general, in my opinion, at least. But so to kind of give a summary of what's been going on, Lamar missed voluntary OTAs, which in my opinion means nothing because everybody misses voluntary OTAs. Rogers didn't go. Um, you could look at like plenty of other quarterbacks. I, I believe don't quote me on this, but I believe Brady might have not shown up right away. Like there, there are just so many guys right now that don't always show up to the voluntary OTA. So not a the big divas. The divas yeah, don't the show divas. up. Exactly. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, fine. The divas don't. Aaron Rodgers, like that diva. Yeah, that diva yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he doesn't show up for anything. Yeah. 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 Um, but he's still without a long-term deal. The contract talks are kind of at a standstill right now, and no progress has really been made. Um, so. I'm curious to you guys, do you think the volunteer missing the voluntary OTAs has anything in relation or has anything to do with the contract not being signed? Or is that just kind of Lamar and just like an NFL player in general, just not showing up to voluntary OTAs, Connor? You know, I, I really wouldn't see it as a big deal, but you know, with, with this contract that he is ultimately going to get, he deserves every penny because, you know, that dude puts his life on the line more than most quarterbacks do in the league. You know, that that's just like the style that he plays with, but yeah, no, I, I wouldn't see that as a big, big concern. You know, if it, if it bleeds into mini camp and training camp, then yeah, I would, I would be more concerned about it. But right now, no. The other thing too, Peyton, before you go, is that there's been no reports like saying, okay, it's confirmed that he's missing this due to the contract stipulation that hasn't been put out there. So if that's not the, the if insiders aren't getting that info, then I wouldn't look into it. That I way. have, you can't have, you can't worry about Lamar. Do you think the Ravens are, are have any, like Lamar's that's their guy. That's a hundred percent their guy. There's no doubt in my mind. OTA missing. Is it, contract? he's a, he's a guy. I, I think that it might be hard to work out a deal because he probably wants a bag and he's representing himself. I think Lamar deserves it. Yeah. yeah. And he, and, and to say he doesn't, des- like it might take a while because of the amount he's asking for, I'm sure he's asking for a lot. I would ask for a lot too, but to say that the Ravens have any, you know, like I highly, highly doubt that there's any chance that the Ravens wouldn't retain Lamar Jackson for the, like he's brought them to the, like he's done so much for that organization. He's put them back on the map. The amount of money that he's probably brought in just, like just added revenue to the Ravens organization as a whole. I mean, I can't, I can't see a, a world where Lamar Jackson doesn't resign with the Ravens. It might take a while, but does missing OTAs have anything to do with it? No, he's a diva. He's Aaron Rodgers now. He thinks he's the man, which he is, and he's allowed to do that. So it might have something to do with the fact that he hasn't signed a contract, but am I worried that he's going to sign a contract? No. He's also 25, so he's entering he's entering the time as a quarterback, like where these are going to be his best years coming up. So yeah. if, you want to get, if you want to get a four to six ter- uh, four to six year long term deal done, this is kind of the age where you want to be able to do that. And like you mentioned, he is representing himself, which is a very unique and not typical situation for a player to do. So that might even throw some some kinks in it as well, because you're not dealing with an agent, you're dealing with the player directly. So the Ravens kind of have to be careful what they do, what they say, how they go about it, as to not offend the player directly because you are dealing with again you're essentially your franchise player um to list out some of the accolades though just to kind of give the audience um a little glimpse as to what he's done obviously he won the won the mvp i believe it was what like a year or two into the league that he was drafted he won the mvp 20 years yeah he's led the ravens to two separate division titles he's made the playoffs in three straight seasons he's never been to the conference finals never been to the conference championship game but he has led him to three playoff appearances he was drafted in 2018 he's been in the league for four he's going into his fifth season so he's really honestly done pretty much all you can i mean besides winning a super bowl and he hasn't had like the most incredible team around him he's pretty much done all that you can ask him to do in the span of the time he's been in the league, in my opinion, at least. And uh, Connor, like you mentioned, because of his style of play, he puts his body on the line way more than any other quarterback does because of how much he runs the football and how aggressive he is when he does so. So he also probably is really wanting to get a long-term deal done for the mere fact that, oh, God forbid he gets hurt, knowing the way he plays, knowing the wear and tear that his body takes. He wants to have that deal locked up and say, all right, I want it for this long to ensure that I'm compensated, you know, if that makes sense. But I think that a guy that isn't as elusive as him, that 
jumps out of the pocket even a little bit is at way more of a risk than Lamar Jackson is, in my opinion. I barely ever see that guy get hit. Like, ever. Like, ever, 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 ever. I barely ever see anybody touch him. I think there's guys that are not pocket passers that take themselves out of the pocket when they shouldn't. Like, even a guy like Joe Burrow. Like, Joe Burrow is – he could get killed. Like I, I could, I could see a he also big hit. Slide. Like I mean, yeah, bro, no, well, bro can't slide properly. Carson, Carson Wentz could get killed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let me. Kirk Cousins could get killed. These guys, when they step out of the pocket, it's like, oh God, please go down. Like, please <laughs> find a way out. Like when Lamar Jackson steps out of the pocket, it's, oh, he's going for thirty and he's gonna get out of the sideline. No one's gonna touch him. He's gonna jump over three guys. Like I'm not, you know, I get, I get really confused with that argument because yes he does put himself in the position to get hit because he's always running but nobody ever touches him so what like when have you ever even seen a bad hit with Lamar where you're really worried I, I can't remember uh, not yet. I'm just saying as you as you get older the, the, the way you're listen I, I agree with you yes he's never taken Bro, that's him. Michael Vick dog that ain't that ain't just some run that's not just some Russian quarterback that's the All guy right. that, well 20, so he's 25 bro he's not getting that old like yeah so we agree to disagree on that in terms of just I'm just saying that maybe Lamar is just thinking about his own well-being and saying listen you never know what could happen and that's my maybe why it's taking longer because he might want a longer deal than the Ravens are willing to Fair offer. Enough. That's kind of where Fair I was enough. with it. Yeah. But again, it's it's a weird situation. He's representing himself. There's a lot of moving parts. Hopefully, I think we can all agree the Ravens should pay him because I think he is their quarterback of the future. He is their franchise. The Ravens should pay him. It's just a matter of how much, how many years, what Lamar wants, if he wants to set the, set the new market level, like he wants to be the highest paid quarterback, whatever it is. Hopefully, he gets a deal done soon before the season in the middle of it, whenever it may be. Moving on to more contract discussions, Aaron Donald now has become the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL, got a new restructured deal from the Rams. I will give you the specifics of the deal here. Before I do that, just thoughts on whether Donald deserved to get a new contract. Definitely. I mean, he's been probably the most dominant player in the NFL for, you know, the better half of a decade. So, uh, and, you know, he finally won his ring. Um, I, I can really see the Rams going back to back. So, uh very uh, well-deserving out of Aaron Donald, for sure. Yeah, I think for the amount of work he puts in, I, I can't see how you could say he doesn't deserve it. Um, and the amount of attention he brings to himself on the field, I don't think there's a guy that – I don't think there's a guy in the league besides Pat Mahomes, maybe Lamar Jackson, maybe that you game plan for like you game plan for Aaron Donald. Um, I don't think there's yeah. a guy on the – I don't think there's a guy on the defensive side of the ball that probably even gets – half of the attention that Aaron Donald gets in the film room, uh, a pregame. I mean, it's, and he still finds a way to beat you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and, but more, I, I just look at it from like the amount of effort he puts in one to be as good as he is. And two, the amount of effort teams put in to, to cover him and, and, and stop him. I mean, he's, he's, you can't put a price on a player like that. He's once in a lifetime type of player. To yeah, be honest, he got a three year, $95 million deal. He's fully guaranteed to make 65 million in his first two seasons. Good. And Good. then after the next, after those two years, he will have the option to either retire or come back in 2024 to make an additional guaranteed 30 million. So Good for him. yeah, he, pretty much all the money in the contract is guaranteed, which we honestly never see in the NFL. Usually most deals you get, you know, a two-year, $40 million deal, you'll have like $26 million guaranteed and the rest are like incentives, add, add-ons, stuff like that. This guy's getting his fully guaranteed money. I 100% think he deserves it. I think he's the best defensive player we, we've ever seen, maybe outside of Lawrence Taylor. Like he is just, Aaron Donald is the most, forget even defensive, one of the most dominant players, one of the greatest players of all time that we've ever seen. And now with his Super Bowl win, he cemented that, not only winning the Super Bowl, but really making the game-winning play by getting Joe Burrow down um, in, in, in the backfield. So, yeah, Donald 100% deserved his money. I'm surprised he didn't get his money sooner. Um, I think, I think honestly, a part of it, and this isn't like a report that I heard, I'm just kind of speculating, but maybe the fact that he was threatening retirement and he kind of said, oh, I might be done, made the Rams go, guys, 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 we got to give him, we got to give him money, bro. Like, give him money. Yeah, that, that's probably, that's probably where the, he probably did that to ensure the guarantee. That's, that's what I'm saying. That was probably, he was probably yeah. like retirement, 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 you know, like, guarantee money, guarantee money. No, like, Rams, all right, we're, we're guaranteeing him everything for all the years. And that, that's the thing where I think, again, not fact, no reports said this, but I'm speculating that I really do think that because the Rams were hearing all this retirement stuff, they're like, Oh God, we need, like, we need to keep Aaron Donald for at least another few years or so. Um, but segue, segue into the, the, excuse me. Wow. 
Segwaying this into um, next season, do you guys think the Rams should be the favorites over every team in the NFL right now? Because I personally believe they should be the favorites going in over the field. So I don't know what you guys think, but I, I, I think over any team uh, right now. Favorites? Um, yeah, they're definitely the favorites by a mile. Like if you were to take them or the field, because I know usually in the NFL, it's like always dumb to take one team over the field because teams usually never repeat. And that's like super, super rare. I mean, the only teams do it to the Patriots in the last like dec- two decades. But I genuinely think because of how weak the NFC NFC became, even though the AFC is strong, they're only going to have to play the AFC team. Mm-hmm. In the so I would pick the Rams over the field just because of the weak at NFC, in my opinion. You know, but what about, but, but like your Chargers are over there in the NFC. Buffalo I, no, I, too. Yeah, no, they're in the AFC. I'm saying that, listen, the oh. Rams are no, – no, the teams – the only teams that the, the, the Rams have to really compete with in the NFC are, you could say, the, the Buccaneers, yeah, the 49ers, okay, depending on their quarterback situation. The I Packers, think that the Eagles are going to be really good. Eagles, yeah, you could say the Eagles, maybe the Packers, if, again, if, they, if their offense doesn't, like, totally plummet without Devontae. But every team really got worse, and the Rams are the only team that added a lot. They added Bobby Wagner. They added Allen Robinson to an already receiving core with Cooper Cup. They might still keep OBJ and have him in the, in the um, back half of the season. after a Cam couple- Akers. Yeah, back off injury. They still have Daryl Henderson, I believe. Mm-hmm. So Donald Ramsey's still there, and again, you add Bobby. So it's like, yeah, favorites, definitely, oh. definitely favorite, definitely, definitely favorites. And they, they again, they they have a basic cakewalk to the Super Bowl. So. so would you take them over the field? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, but not like by much over a team like the Bills, my opinion. Well, because it, and I, I get that though, because again, even in the NFL in general, regardless of whatever team it is, you're almost like, especially if you're a betting man, like if you're, again, if you're betting on Rams to repeat at the start of the 2022, 2023 season, not the smartest bet you want to make, because again, there's so many other teams in the NFL and mm-hmm. we never see teams repeat because of all the uncertainties, injuries. You can have guys get, you don't know what's going to happen. There's no the way bills to- are going to, the bills are going to suck this year, by the way. Okay, you got to stop with this. With the yeah. this guy had the, the Dolphins winning the division over the Bills. Well, yeah, I'm. I, I was like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, what do I say? Because I said the Bills winning. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with it. They're gonna suck. Listen, you're you're a man of your word. And that's what we like. We don't want you going back on your opinions. No, well, I can't. You can't. You can't at all. But yeah, so I think we all agree. Rams should be the favorites right now. We'll see what happens going into the season. Final thing. I know Connor wanted to talk about some baseball. Yankees are the first team to 40 wins in the MLB this season. They're having probably, I think, (laughs) in the first, I think, I forget the exact stat, but along with like other Yankees teams, and I think it was like 2016 uh, Cubs that won the World Series. Uh They've had like the best 50 some odd game start in the last, I guess, decade or so. Yeah. They're playing lights out right now. And let me just give credit. Let me just like rise real quick. Aaron Judge. Um, he is Aaron Judge is just I don't even know what to say anymore. The guy I'm pretty sure has already hit 20 home runs. He is 22. 22 to be exact. Yeah, yeah he's he's on an absolute tear. Aaron Judge probably is the best player in baseball right now. I don't <laughs> see how you could say anybody else. Like oh, the the Angels. I don't. Angels hear are about, falling apart. I don't want to hear about Otani. They fired their coach. Otani losing streak. I don't want to hear about Shohei anymore. Like <laughs> get him out of here. Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball. I don't want to hear Mike Trout. I don't want to hear. I still have people telling me Bryce Harper is the best. I don't want to hear no. about that anymore. Bryce Harper hasn't been at the top for a while. Aaron Judge is the clear best player in baseball. The Yankees are the best team in the MLB. Nestor Cortez, nasty Nestor, baby. He is lighting people up on the mound. I'm loving what I'm seeing from these guys. And yeah, I think right now they should be if not the favorite, they have to be one of the clear favorites to get to, the, to just get to the World Series right now because they haven't relinquished the top spot since like the first week of the MLB season. They've been dominant the entire time. Dude, I mean, th- this is one of the best Yankee rotations that they've ever had. It is unreal. And it's finally working with, you know, again, with, and even with guys who have been injured, Stan's been out a little bit. So is Rizzo. So is Donaldson. Yeah. They've been able to fill it. They've been able to manage stuff. And a large part of it, again, has been just Judge just absolutely throwing New York City or sorry, throwing the Bronx on his back and saying, let yeah. me take you guys to where we want to be. And he's doing it. And it's just, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the Yankees are 40 and 15. They have the best record in the American league. That's how like that, 30, yeah. 38 wins. That, right? Yeah. They have no, yeah. 40, 40 and 15 and the Mets in the national league are 38 and 20 and they lead the national league. I mean, baseball's yeah. running through New York right now. It's pretty awesome. This is, I'm telling you, Connor, the more and more that I keep seeing this, the more, and more and more that I am praying I praying for a World Series subway series. Me too. Me too. But you I, know, I, I just want it so bad. 
thinking I, thinking from from a Mets point of view, it's going to be a tougher road for them. They got San Diego, they have San Francisco, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Braves, the Dodgers to get through. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a tougher road for the Mets. I, I think that the Yankees right now are obviously the favorites to get to represent the American League, but you know this this city will go crazy. If, I wouldn't. I would consider the Braves as much of a threat. I mean, I know. I know they've their their record is like what? Like they have like thirty wins about right now. Yeah, they're like 20, 29 and twenty seven. I think. Okay. Yeah. So my thing is, I wouldn't consider them as that much of a threat. I you know obviously the Dodgers you got to put in there again yeah. the Padres as well the Giants you could even say I know they're not playing fantastic. The Brewers. Oh yeah, bro. Yeah, Christian Yelich and the Brewers have been playing great as well. Um, but I I don't really think you guys have that much of a harder. I mean, listen, the Dodgers are better than any other team in the AL. I think like outside of the Yankees, I don't think there's a team on paper in the American league that is better than the Dodgers, but the Yankees have teams like the Astros who are performing great. They have like 36, Mm -hmm. 37 wins right now. They're playing great. Uh, Red Sox are starting to play a little better. Red Sox playing a little better. The the Rays and the Blue Jays are right now, both kind of they're, they're, they're on the Yankees heels a little bit. Um, they, I think Blue Jays have 33 wins, Rays are around the same, but you know, the, it's not like the, the Yankees don't have any competition, but I would say right now they've, handled um handled the american league better than anybody else and even the twins too twins have been good the yankees have beaten them the last when was the when was the last time the yankees started off this well like the year they won the world series or like 08 or 09 hasn't been that it was never that good like it was i think it was it was 08 and they won the world series and they didn't start off that good in 09 but the last time they even made a world series was 2009 but they haven't had this good of a start in about almost 15 years i mean i guess you just pray if i was you if I was a Yankees fan, I would pray that they don't slow down. But I guess at the rate that they're winning, there doesn't seem to be much of a slowdown that could occur. But I don't know. If Judge's back breaks carrying the Bronx, then you might be in for a slow <laughs> steep in the second half. And I would no, hate to I see that. Say that. You I would not hate, say I, that without I, I, knocking. I, I just no, no. hate to see. I'd hate to see, you know. You cannot say that without knocking. I'd hate to see you talking about a subway, subway battle, and then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> the bullpen doesn't hey, look so first, good. First, first of all, Three Hold months on. from now, it's like, geez, Louise, we're, you know, we're, at the, we're number four. No. First of all, you saying breaking back. <laughs> Knock on wood, first of all. That's not happening. Judge is going to be fine. Let's, like, not put that in the universe. Um, but I, I just, listen. Carrying Bronx is a lot, you know. The way you describe it, it sounds like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't watch much baseball. I just, you have a lot of words for your team. It's real early, Tino. It's 55 so, games in, and we've been the best team in the MLB. Let me let me be happy a little bit. No, because, yeah, you're yeah. The start listen, that you're on, I, I I don't I don't I don't see the Yankees ever since, down. Ever I have since, been watching a slight amount of baseball. I did see Aaron Judge crush the ball quite a bit, and they look pretty scary. And your bullpen oh, dude, is pretty but listen, dirty. Listen, like the the Yankees are in this great position finally after you know 10, 11, 12 years without even making a World Series appearance, not not because of their hitting, which is what they're known for. Their it's, pitching's been unreal. It's been good. And Cole, and Cole's stepping up too now. When he last season, he closed out terribly, especially in that wild card game against oh, the Red Sox. But, yes, dude, Cole, I mean, you have, you have freaking Jamison Tyone taking a perfect game into the eighth inning. Like, it's it's been crazy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Our pitching has just been on a different level. And I'm, I'm not saying we're going to maintain this the entire season, but – we won't need to because our hitting is on that level. Like yeah. because our pitching has been, our pitching could fall off a tiny bit, but and because our hitting has been on such a high level, I don't think it'll matter that much. The only thing I will say though, ever since Boone, this has been the best iteration, of, uh, like the Yankees iteration of this Boone era so far. Because I've absolutely, as a Yankee fan, you, your, you know, your roommates with Jacob, you've probably heard him bitch and complain about Boone to mm-hmm. no end. Like he absolutely despises him. Nobody complains and, when they're winning. That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, I know, like, but Girardi was obviously a better manager at the time for the Yankees, and we haven't seen it. This, to me, is reminding me of that 2017 team that lost to the Astros because of the cheating. This Mm -hmm. is like reminiscing of that time when when we were that good, when we had um, Tanaka, Severino was more in his prime. We had guys like Didi Gregorius, Gardner Mm -hmm. was a little bit younger, more, not in his prime, but he was playing a lot better. Guys like that. This is what this reminds me of, like pre Giancarlo Stanton. Um, but I'm, I'm loving the way they're playing. They're having fun. You know, again, I think we made the right moves getting rid of Luke Voigt in the offseason as much as ever. Like, we're, you know, he was that a dude fan is fan. such a meathead. I, I mean, know he is. the he Mets, fan, like, girls loved him. He was a fan favorite. Yeah. Like, any, any girl you asked that's like a, that was remotely like a, not even a Yankees fan, but just knew about the Yankees, like, oh my God, Luke. Like, it, oh I didn't want to hear it. it. He belongs in San Diego. Screw Luke Voigt. He was not. <laughs> Getting rid of him, getting rid of Gary Sanchez, 
the best thing that we did. Listen, actually, you have to give a little credit to Gary Sanchez. The Twins have the third best ERA in the American League, and that's not all because of the pitching. I mean, the uh, catcher has to be a little bit a part of that. So, I mean, he's uh, – Yeah, I know, but – He's but, solid. I mean, he obviously his, his defense was horrendous toward his end of his Yankee career, but, you know, he's, he's been solid for the Twins. That's fine. Go to go to Minnesota. You can go. Yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> okay. uh, he go go to Minnesota. Go. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to ask Connor: Who is the is Judge the front runner for the AL MVP right now? I no doubt. There, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, knock on wood. I obviously don't want to see anybody get hurt, but there's there's no. I mean, I mean the the dude's on pace for 63 home runs. So, what, what about the National League? National League, um, a little bit tighter, but I, like, I'm just curious. Yeah, I would, I would say Paul Goldschmidt with the Cardinals. He's, yeah, he had, he, I think, like a 24 or 25 game hitting streak recently that was just broken. Wow. Um, Pete Alonso's playing really well, even though he uh, got um, he got a hit on the hand with a ball yesterday when he was hitting. He's he's on pace for like 160 RBIs, you know, considering he doesn't miss any games. But uh, yeah, right now definitely Goldschmidt for the Cardinals who are playing really well in the Central, keeping up with the Brewers. You heard it here first, Goldschmidt and Judge and Connor's opinion are the two people to win the MVPs in each of the conferences. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Cold Hard Truth. We tackled a lot today, went through a lot of different topics, had a lot of fun, boys. It was great. Um, love the debates. So uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.